welcome to the Route 77 podcast. In today's episode, we're taking a closer look at masculinity from a Christian perspective. We'll start by discussing the true nature of strength and dignity and how these qualities manifest in a godly man. Our conversation will also touch on the importance of emotional expressiveness and vulnerability, challenging the notion that these traits are a sign of weakness. Join us as we delve into this vital topic, seeking to understand and redefine what it means to be a man in today's world. Welcome to the Root 77 podcast. I am Natasha, your host, and I am here with Monique. Hello. And David. Hello. And we are going to flip the coin over from the last couple of podcasts and then talk about mass. Monique, what do you think of when you hear the word mass? It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Although he's quite, in his day, he was quite big buff. Do you think of deep boys? I don't know. When I think of masculinity, it's interesting because a lot of times when we think about like when people refer to femininity, it's always what's on the outside, right? Yep. And the same thing when we think about masculinity, it's like how we picture the person on the outside. It's how we, yeah, you're like tall, dark, and handsome, or like going out to get things done, or go-getter, or those type of things. So yeah. it's just sort of, it's this visual. For me, it's not so much, um, okay, we all have physical attributes that we are attracted to. Yeah. For me? Clean teeth, showers, and somebody who is not a nail biter, because that's always been my downfall in other relationships, really, because it's a sign of insecurity. Did you know that? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, she said right there. I'm right there. Yeah. bite my finger. It's just habit, to be honest. Yeah. It's habit. It is. It is. And I think so. But somebody had said that was when I was pregnant with my daughter, I stopped biting my nails. And I hear that from a lot of women that once they get pregnant, that habit breaks. That was my problem. You never got pregnant? No, never had a kid. Oh, but but if I think about it now, those physical attributes are only secondary to what I really think are important in a guy. Like I said, integrity is very important. I want to know I can rely on him, that I can trust him. Uh, a sense of responsibility because every woman wants to have that sense of security. So if he is responsible, he goes to work, he diligent in what he does that gives a woman that sense of security that she can rely upon him because regardless of what feminism says and that women can live on their own and do their own thing when they're in a relationship we tend to want to have the man to be a little bit more in the leadership we want role. there to be a security we do we look for security we do and yep. stability yep yeah so and then we also want to know that if that they love without um, conditions. We have the minor conditions, of course. It, but if they love you, then they're going to love you completely and not have their visions diverted by everything that walks down the street. Or other things take their... Right. It might be other things, like some Money. people get into video games too much to right. the point of, hey, my... Boyfriend, all they do is play video games, or my husband. Yeah, and it, it can happen both genders, but yep. I think that could be a thing where they almost don't grow up in a sense. Yep, or where all they, they do is work. Yeah. A sense of responsibility is great, but also having that, having being able to prioritize their life. So, how about you, David? When you talk think about masculinity in general as a social construct or as a social idea, 
what do you think of? It's the opposite of what you guys just said. So instead of physical attributes, the first thing that came to mind when I thought of masculinity was actually internal attributes, such as can he, is he respectable, trustworthy? Mm -hmm. Does he have specific characters? How is he raised? What kind of virtues and characteristics does, did the father place in his son, etc.? So it's, it's a lot different coming from my perspective because it's actually the complete opposite. When I think masculine, I think whether or not I can have these attributes or not, compassion to, to worth ethic, like you mentioned earlier, to, and, it, and it has very little to deal with the actual physical aspects of it. Yeah. There's indirectly aspects to the physical, like saying protecting your family or from mm -hmm. danger and having to do work in, in, in fields that require maybe physical strength or but other than that, there is, it's actually quite the opposite. So I think we can look at a, okay, one verse particular, which can then be applied to many other verses. When it talks in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And again, I want to reiterate, just as we talked about last time with the Proverbs 31 woman, how her character and her virtues did not start the moment she became a wife, the moment she said, I do. In this perspective, I think the same thing can be said as a, for a man. Like you're, you're, these traits of loving others as Christ loved the church. So any day he gave him that he sacrificed himself for, for his bride does not start the moment that they become a husband, the moment they say, I do. This is something that is developed over time. And so it's not something you just go, oh, I'm a husband now. Now I can do these things or now I'll somehow be this. So as a man, to, I think to embody masculinity is to copy Christ. And how does that look? And we can see it. It says John 13, 34 to 35, which reads, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And a man's willingness to protect and give up his life could extend to anybody, parents, siblings. I hear sometimes in the news, and this happened probably like months ago, I haven't heard anything lately, but it was newsworthy because people would say this person was lying in the middle of the street, had obviously been hit by a vehicle or had passed out or whatever and people were literally driving their cars around the person and driving away nobody stopped to help that person and had, they had no idea how long that person was laying in the street and it was usually an elderly person or whatever but people would just drive around where is that sense of laying down your life to help somebody else we are so not good samaritans and we can see like jesus well, just in the fact that he died on the cross, right? But just so much of his ministry was one of showing and epitomizing and living out and doing everything to yep. embody what love actually meant. Yep. Love, mercy, justice, even. Because a lot of people think that he was just going around being all chummy. But he was, like, when he got mad, he, he did not want to get in the face of that. Just ask the money changers in the temple when he was... He was desecrating his father's house. And, yeah, and he was and throwing just, them out. Yeah, yeah, and just 
when he was firm with things like when they tried to keep the children from him he's no let them come to me yep so he shows the virtue and the character of love yeah so christ himself was never married on earth but although he's called the the bride of the church this actually pushes down to the preparedness of christ and it the bridegroom is actually represented as the church again, like I think you just said that. But I have a more focus on actual real world or actual other like people, mm-hmm. like actual cultural norm. And I think you're going to find a lot of this, a lot of the stuff I have in here is pointing more to Christ than it is to say a single father or a, a single man or a married man. So a lot of it, a lot of it, it's going to be ending up, it's going to be like the church is going to be the the wife and Christ is going to be the groom. And and a lot of it's going to point to stuff like that. And and the questions I asked you guys are going to be more focused towards the depictions and what Christ did around those and how he represents. But yeah. yeah. I think a lot of what you put in the first part of it as being character and virtue, everything kind of falls under that. So in talking about character and virtue, which encompasses the respect, trustworthiness, love, respect, and all that kind of thing. David, how would you show young men how to embody Christ's way of showing love, compassion, and righteousness? When I'm particularly asked this question, I would probably refer back to the to example of Christ. I wouldn't make up something and then say that's what it is or try to find a real world example because the real world examples are embody both the toxic nature and the proper and the proper nature. So there's a hybrid mix between the two. So I would go back to I would look at Jesus and how he treated people and how he and how he represented himself to the world and how he demonstrated love, compassion, righteousness. And you would have to go and read the life of Jesus and stuff. But I think what was it, John 340, what you read earlier was solid representation of what it would look like to embody those natures. Another thing that that we want to talk about is that, and Monique referred to it when she was talking about what she would look for in a guy if she was looking for a husband, and it's trustworthiness. And in Matthew five thirty seven, it says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And we can have a complete conversation of what that means. <laughs> as, a, as a But I think the general, if you just look at it for base value, you're just saying what you say is what you do. And every- well, the, the idea behind that verse was to represent, if you're having to, if you're having to fill in swearing, a story. The, like the verse before that was like, do not swear on anything in heaven or on earth because those are gods. And just to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Isn't that how that verse starts? Because I think that's one of the things that people have. Oh, I swear in telling the truth. On my mother's grave, I swear. Don't swear about anything. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. We have a really hard, I think a lot of people have a really hard time saying no. And a lot of times we say yes, and then we don't want to say yes. So we go and say, I'm actually not feeling very well today, so I'm just not going to. But generally, yeah, like it's true. Yeah, what you're saying is true. That that's how it's, that's the context of it. 
But I think too, if Jesus is saying, just let your yes be yes, you know me, no, let your word be what they are. Yeah. If you say anything, then people should be able to take that as face value. Yeah. Yeah. And not have to go, were they really telling me the truth? And that causes a lot of distrust. And one of the things about trust is that once trust is broken, it's really hard to regain that trust. So if you lie to yourself and say, I'm going to do this today, and then you don't do it, then you're bound to lie to other people. There is also another saying that I have in my work, and it's not just at this work or any job that I have. If somebody says to me, and it could be in any situation, not just work, but if somebody says to me, just tell them I'm not here when if somebody calls for me. And I feel very uncomfortable right. doing that because I have a saying, and I have said this to people, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. And I think a reasonable thing would just say is they're unavailable at the moment. Yep. yep. Say I'm unavailable because they are or whatever. Yeah. It's... But I think that stems back to the yes or no. If you're yep. having to insert filler words, if you're having to manipulate this thing that you're going to. So if that example, what you just mentioned is says, I am actually unavailable. Are you really unavailable or are you just now twisting the words to make it justifiable in that sense? Not, I'm not saying that you are actually truly unavailable. Like you may actually be unavailable, but the idea is, is that you can alter the state of words so that it's like a gray area in which you're trying to get around. I didn't technically lie, but it was like a white lie. You created a, a, a you created a scenario where it ends up being true. Yeah, or where it leads people to a certain conclusion without you actually saying it. Yeah. Yes. So when you, I wonder if people speak to say he's not taking any like a message. That still poses the same result because now you're just changing the scenario. You're, but it's true, be, he's not taking many calls. But it a certain point where you... That, that's my point, Monique, yeah. is that you can say that and it, it, it makes it true in the sense that, in the sense, in your view. But if someone is in a situation where they know you're not, but you yet you say that, then it doesn't look good, even if it is somewhat true. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain it. You have to be wary... Because it, it stems back to you lying to yourself. Yeah. Because the idea is that now you're both lying to yourself and to the other person. Because you keep changing the words of what you're trying to tell the other person. And if you find yourself having to change the words to make the scenario true, then you're manipulating that context in a sense. But at the same time, do you really going to tell the customer they don't want to talk to you? You can't do that either because you're fired. It's you're it doesn't makes you really think about what you ask other people yes. of, your, of yourself. If you say and if what you're you putting them your, in the position yeah. of that, yeah, and and, it, and and what you're asking your employees to do. So that's a very big thing for, and a lot of bosses are men, but whether you're a male or a female in a boss position, if you're asking your employees to lie for you. Be aware that you are basically giving them permission for them to lie to you as well. But at the same time, you're just asking them something that is not right. So ultimately, regardless of whether they ever lie to you, you've asked them to do something that is not right. 
And so as a person, it's, this is important for trustworthiness. It's not just that you're trustworthy, but uh, that, like what, that's like this, I'm trustworthy. I'll do what I say, but I'm going to make other people be the liars. That also is a double-edged sword because if you're asking people to lie for you, then my question is how many times have you lied to me? But I think that's regardless of the point. Yeah. The whole point is that you've asked somebody else to do something wrong and that to lie when you're not, when you're trying to say this is that you're trustworthy. Yeah. And yeah, that will make you think that. Yeah. If you have somebody asking you to lie for them, then you're going, are they really trustworthy? Is that what the point you're trying to make? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. 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 Exactly my point. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Sorry. For us confused. But then when I was talking, it made sense. And that was so nice to make it. Oh, answer. wait. Now, are you trustworthy? Hey. Then you... everything like we talked about with the femininity, these things are work both ways on both genders, but yeah. we're specifically talking about masculinity and the fact that like, what makes a man. A man. Yes. What makes a man. <laughs> and what should make a man. So this is definitely in a there. A manly man. A manly man. Yes. <laughs> are you a manly man? David, are you a manly man? Is that I don't want to get into that comment. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So the next verse that we want to talk about is John five seventeen. But Jesus answered them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Okay, so, so these verses represent what Christ how Christ represents what we would look for in a, in a man trying to teach and embody a young man. It's not so much what the work ethic kind of would be like what work ethic would is these verses more represent the what Christ's example was when he was dealing with young men in a sense teaching his disciples yeah so he was representing how his work ethic was more like the father is always working i'm always working like you're never not working in a sense when it comes to when um, so that's how you should take your work ethic when it comes to Christ so this should be embodied when it comes to your faith, your belief, your 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 ability to your understanding of Christ. You should be always working to grasp that and try to embody that in in younger men. And that where yeah. work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, <laughs> but it also it separates from the actual literal never stop working of oh that's then a workaholic. Though no, that's talking about specifically your job. That's different work than what we're talking about here. Yes, you will have a, you should have a good work ethic when it comes to your job. You don't mm-hmm. just slack off and not do things. But the point is that your character, your virtue, and your trustworthiness, and all these things we've talked about, like these things, don't stop for the day. And we don't. And then working your faith and working for and part of your faith is representing Christ. So even if you're not actively in the process of giving a Bible study or preaching a sermon or anything that's like specifically labeled ministry, you're still representing Christ. So you're never off the clock in that sense. Mm -hmm. So you're keeping yourself busy in the things that he's called you to do. And some of those may be ministry related. Some of those may be your actual work related. Some of those are your jobs as a, if you are a husband or a father or a boyfriend, or any of those things, like you're always representing Christ in those moments. Justin had a very interesting thing in his sermon today. And he had, when he was talking, I was like, I had to watch it on TV because I got this cough and it's, I didn't want to disrupt other people by going there and hacking my way through the service. So I stayed home watching it online. And I'm watching the TV kind of going, why are there two ladders 
on the stage. And I thought, did they have a leak or is there a problem? He actually used those ladders in his sermon. And he called one ladder the world and the other ladder Christ. And he had them close enough together so that he could step on both ladders. And he says, most of us, we think we can get away with living like this, where we have our foot in the world and our foot on Christ. And But the problem is that you can only go so far before you can't go any higher. Because the way a ladder goes, your legs only go so far. <laughs> and it was such a good uh, yes, because he says, so you've got your choice. Are you going to let go of the one ladder and climb the other? Or are you going to do vice versa? So he says, if you're going to choose to climb the ladder of the world, you're going to find yourself further and further away from Christ. But if you climb the ladder of Christ, you're going to find yourself further and further separated from the world is which way we want to be because we want to embody the image and Christ-likeness that he gives us. And he says, this is the better ladder. He says, a lot of us may be a little teetered because we got our foot on the lower rung and we're a little higher up, but we're still <laughs> the tiptoe on the tiptoe on the ladder. But it was just such a clear word picture. It was just like, yeah, this is how we try to live our life. In two different realms. In two different realms. This work out your salvation means that you might have to take your foot off the ladder of the world. And it also might mean, too, with this, with our work ethic, is that you need to look at your life and see if there's areas that you are being lazy in. Yep. And this doesn't mean having a break, having some downtime, having hobbies, enjoying some things. This means that your significant chunks of time are spent doing something that is really irrelevant to the long term. Yep. Yep. It's okay to sit and read. A, a book that is not the Bible. It's okay to play video games for a short amount of time. But do you set aside time for God? Do you read your Bible? Like yesterday, I say, I, I played my video games for quite a few hours. If I did that every single day, there would be a problem. Yes. Okay. There would, would be a serious problem. There would be a problem. <laughs> I just had so many days in a row. It's my, my one time I was able to veg off a bit. And, and played, you weren't feeling well. And I wasn't feeling well. But I don't spend that amount of time every single day. No. And I think as a guy, you're, you're representing yourself to other young men. And by doing something like that, where you're taking a significant amount of time daily or weekly or whatever, that's, that would be unhealthy in that activity, then you're giving a really poor example. And watching what you do in that downtime too because a lot of guys so i'm not going to discount that no. because it does happen to girls but it predominantly happens to guys because they're visual so they get on the internet picture pops up and they go what was that and then the next thing they're trapped into pornography yeah so it's just uh, a thing that can happen yep but just generally looking at your time how is christ using his time yep. even his downtime was used he spent a wow. lot of time in prayer. He would often say, he would often say, I need to go away from everybody and just be, take time to spend with God, his father. And he would spend an, an enormous amount of time in prayer. And if he lived now and was doing that, I could totally see him taking his phone and turning it off. Yes. And putting it aside. Yeah. And well, he did all that. 
Yes. Just as an example, if you tried to think of him doing it now, he wouldn't yeah. just be like scrolling on his Facebook when Wa he watch was... it, watching funny videos. Yeah. For again, it's watching puppies and kittens, listening to music videos, scrolling through Spotify <laughs> or whatever, <yeah. laughs> or whatever he would be, he would, he would turn the phone off, put it aside and just spend time with his father. And we need to be the same in our diligence. What do you think about this part, David? Are we spaghettiing again? Yeah. That's <laughs> all right. What could you? I'm not what, even sure. Go ahead, ask the question. You have in here also things about organizing mentorship programs, which would be a very big thing for especially some of the older men to take over for the younger generation. So how would you set something like that up? You can go through, I would recommend just going through your church communities because they'll have a strong, they'll have a strong connections to other church communities and the, and they'll probably provide you with resources to help set that up. So a huge contributor to something like that would be going through your church. There used to be a thing called, it was a men's breakfast that was, that would happen every Saturday morning at about six, I think. And, and I know a lot of churches used to do that and they would actually bring men together of all ages. They would all have breakfast. They would sit and they would communicate together because I think men lose that a lot. They don't. I, yeah, I grew up with that in my church and I, I now realize that it dissolved yeah. after years and it just yeah, doesn't happen, which is very unfortunate. COVID probably killed no. a lot of it. No, COVID, COVID probably killed the remaining, but I noticed that long before was, COVID. Yeah, it was declining way before COVID because I remember talking to the pastor and saying, there doesn't seem to be many programs out there specifically geared for men where they can gather together, learn the word of God, learn how to be godly men. They may have seminars every now and then, but I think men tend to avoid going to such things because they think it's too touchy-feely. You can contribute probably a big chunk of that to the toxic masculinity oh. that's now propagated out or out into the culture because the cultures could reinforce this. And then there, there's, there, there's points in, in that I'm going to go over hopefully later that represent the pressure that culture and these toxic masculinities Right. Happen right, and I'm, and I feel like that it's probably a contributor. To yeah, to there's the, a uh, there's a lot. Yeah, that brings us to Matthew nine thirty five thirty six. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So I think, Monique, you brought up a point a while back. I can't quite remember, but I vaguely remember you bringing up a point where certain people are lost. Yep, yep. And the idea behind this was is that you would get maybe the homeless or you get children who may not be adopted, young men who may not be, who may have lost family members and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where the generosity and the compassion come in. And Jesus... Well, go ahead. Jesus represented this through the verse that... And his compassion was, was huge. Um, all you have to do is think about how many times he had compassion on the crowds because they'd been following him all day. And by taking a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, he fed everybody. 
we can't do that miraculously like he can, but we can help out in other ways that that show just as much that kind of compassion. And the same when we see somebody being misused or abused, like the woman that was caught in adultery. Funny that they only brought the woman and not her partner. And he said, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And then when they all left, because they all knew they were not without sin, he said to her, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all left. And he says, then I condemn you not either and go and sin sin no more. more. (laughs) But he had that, how he went about healing people. And we may not have that miraculous healing touch like he did. But when we see somebody who is hurting, how many times, I think there was like, I can't remember where and when in history, pardon me for this, but if you Google it, I'm sure you'll find it. But there was a time when there was this plague going on and everyone was fleeing the city, but the Christians were going to the city and they were going, why are you here? Because they were there to care for them because their life was not did not mean anything. They wanted to care for the people. They did not mean anything in the sense that they weren't afraid to lose it. Yeah, because they knew where their eternal home was. And it was more important to care for the sick than to worry about their own health. And I'm pretty sure many of them lost their lives just Probably. taking care of them. And David, you were mentioning just some of the ones who could be marginalized with those who are like young men or whatever, who have never, ha- or not whatever, but young men who never had fathers and things like that. And there's this um, guy on YouTube, and it's really interesting. His name is Rob Kenny. And he was, I believe he was, he did not have a father growing up. So he started a YouTube channel that's called. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he's called Dad, How Do I? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. He just goes through things like, Dad, how do, he goes, Dad, how do I change the oil in my car? Dad, how do I do all these simple things that you would learn from your dad a lot of the time. And the amount of, yeah, the amount of people who so appreciated the fact that, yeah, I don't have a dad. And he was, I believe he's a Christian, but I'm not 100% positive. But yeah, the amount of people who are just so happy that he has these videos of just like basic things that you a lot of time will learn from your dad. That story I just told about the person laying it out in the middle of the street. And I won't mention the township, but we're all very familiar with Surrey. Oh, did I say that? The person laying out in the middle of the street, out in the middle of the road and people driving around them. This is where generosity and compassion stop for those people. Call an ambulance. Call for help. Don't Especially because you are in a populated area. Like yep. There's times when you are worried because it's dark road and they're having right. people who do things and you can still call. You know, what it, I think that. what it is is that a lot of people, they say, I just don't want to be involved. I don't want to get involved. It must be a drug druggie or it something. It must be a druggie. And then you never yeah. know what will happen. And... But that's somebody's brother, sister, grandfather. You don't know who they are. You don't know the circumstances. Leaving them there in the middle of the road for somebody to, yes. for somebody else either to is stop not, or to hit them. that not the, the parable or like the, yes. the good Samaritan? The good Samaritan, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, there, there was a reason why Jesus put that in. And, it's, and that's exactly what happened. He says, the one person, the priest walked around him, the Pharisee Levi, walked around the Levite. But only, and if you don't know the story about who Samaritans are, they are half-breeds. 
They are half Gentile, half Jew. So they didn't belong in any society. They didn't belong with the Jews. They didn't belong with the Gentiles. They were outcasts. So for Jesus to mention the Samaritan being the person to stop meant that... And they didn't have a good reputation generally. No. So, but we think they all do because of that one story. Because of that one story. Has, I think it'd be similar to the one person stopping to help that person on the road would be like a gang member. Right. Or something. Like, yeah. And Hell's Angel. Yeah. Or... It's like stopping and helping as opposed to... Yep. Yep. So why, if we are, if we consider the Hell's Angels to be the bad guys of a society or whatever gang members of a bad guy in the society. But still. But still, if we can give them the benefit of the doubt to be the ones to stop and help the person, why cannot, why, why can we not be better and do that to compassion? Again, again, from like a guy, from a masculine, it's such a like anti thing when you think about like compassion you don't, I don't know, it's just like there's a way a guy can do it though that can be manly. But we have these societal like stereotypes that it's just like. We walk around literally with our noses up in the air. But there are birds that fly around up in the air. And if your <laughs> nose is high enough, a bird's going to poop in it. I have had one poop on my nose before. It had already been a long day. Get your I nose. was not impressed. My nose was down, but still. Now that's funny. But see, you've got to, you've got to stop and look and be aware and don't. Be so into your own self that you can't stop and help somebody. Yeah, being compassionate and generous is not unmanly. No, it's actually very manly and very attractive. Yeah. Just saying. Do <laughs> you have anything to add to this part, David? Is that good, David? Did we stay on top? I was. <laughs> good. I was. Yeah, no, that was good. Okay, the next part, maybe I won't read the whole thing, but essentially it's the parable of the Ten virgins. So those who took their lamps, they all went and took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. And five took lamps and oil. Five did not. And yeah, so some were prepared, some were not. I think the parable of the talents would work in this one too. Yeah. Yeah. Like how so, preparing for that. Yeah. Future. So there's a few. There's a few things that are very important in this one. That's your ability to also be prepared, but you also need to be wise enough to know that sometimes your preparedness is not something that you can prepare for, as in you got an exam, so you have to study by this date. You could be prepared for that exam, but sometimes there isn't a date in where that preparedness is fulfilled. For example, sometimes you, don't, sometimes you don't know the date when it's fulfilled. And an example of that would be the coming of Christ, would be that parable, Matthew 21, 1 to 3. The ten virgins represented the ability to not be prepared and were not wise enough to be prepared because they did not know the coming of Christ. And when Christ did come, the ones who, who went out and gathered the oil were the ones who were accepted. And those who didn't had to go buy oil. And by the time they came back, their preparedness was uh, faltered. The door was closed. And this represents our ability to be prepared in life, whether it's with our families or and we have to be able to be wise enough to prepare for events that we cannot predict or occur, and especially the coming of Christ. Yeah, right. that's like with, that was the example would be Monique's daughter, I think would be a good example, just the fact that going through all this, if you had not developed your faith your prayer life your 
all these things, like how much more difficult would that have been or impossible? Yep. Yep. And just having God's peace and strength when everything else was falling apart. And I knew that if it wasn't for him and the funny thing is I learned more as I was, because Marlena had grilled the doctor a little bit more and asked a few more questions. And apparently that when they had wheeled her out to do the CT scan because they thought of brain bleed, um, what she said is that because her one pupil had dilated, he thought that she'd stroked out and that they were losing her. So I was just like, I'm so glad he didn't tell me that. <laughs> I think I would have been on the floor. Somehow the message I heard was that he was checking for brain bleed because her eye was dilated and they just got to do a CT scan. But what they were checking for is to make sure that she had not had a stroke because that would have been the end. So thank you, God, that did not happen. But that's just a small example of you weren't preparing for it because you didn't know it was going to happen. Exactly. Yep. We had no idea until, until we had taken her to the hospital and they did a CT scan and said, hey, guess what we found? Excuse me, you found what? Are you talking about my kid, right? You're, are you sure? You sure you didn't get this mixed up with somebody else? Because that's not possible. Yeah. And how she's doing now, it's totally gone. A credible miracle. Yeah. Everything that, that the doctor said, we could, he said she might be lesser than what you, than she was before the operation. She's actually more than she was months ago. She was, she used to choke on her food. Now she's eating like a, like it's nobody's business. She's not a choke to be happening. Right. And talking. Oh, yeah. And she says the funniest things. She keeps telling me, I don't like you no more. Mayfair, do you know what I've done for you? But it's all good because I'm like, you don't like me no more. No, mommy's sad and she giggles. She thinks that's funny. No. Yeah. Being prepared. But then I think, David, you mentioned in your notes talking about just things like finance, finances and future planning, decision making, like helping people and it can be any age but especially young men like what is your there is a something to be said about five-year ten-year plan mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that you have to you're stuck to that plan but there should be more than just that's how I went to university I went to university to find a man not to find uh, to get you <laughs> to education so I had no five-year plan and I had no plans for getting yeah. married and it didn't happen yeah so I was not pre pre prepared yeah. so with Young men, that's why I try to ask kids, what, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? And then whatever they want to do, unless it's something really, unless it's illegal, uh, you can be like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And have you thought about doing this? And have you thought about doing this? And yeah. Marlena's son, Sean, he is in, in the U18 hockey league because he's 17, will be 18 for another year. And he's a really good hockey player. He may get scouted. He may not. So his mom is very wise. Because she says to him, she says, if this does not work out, you need a backup plan. You need to know what you're going to do if hockey is not it. So, you know, she said, maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's something else. You know what he wants to do? He wants to be a police. What a kid. My the goodness. And he is, he's, such a, he's such a special kid. And I have so much respect for him. Even though he's a teenager and he does stupid things every now and then, he is such a good kid and she raised him very well. He goes in to Amber in the morning. He says, good morning, sunshine. And she, she calls him, good morning, Shawnee boy. She's Shawnee boy. And he 
when Amber was in the hospital, he was so upset and so afraid that he was going to lose her. He would sleep in her bed because he is so attached to her. And that just breaks my heart that he has so much compassion for, for a girl that he grew up with who has special needs. And he just loves on her like the, like she's a part of his, and she is, she's a part of their family. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it just, he's going to make a great police officer because he has that compassion. already, right? Yep. But you know, this thing about preparedness, um, I know that we all have this belief that Christ is coming again and he could come today. He could come tomorrow. He could come next week, next year, 10 years, a hundred years down the road. If you were believing that the world's falling apart, it's going to heck in a handbasket, Christ is going to come any minute now, I'm just going to sit here and wait for it. You are not being prepared and you're not being very wise. No. Having, that, that breaks my heart. Doesn't it just? I think about the people that are not saved and it breaks my heart that, they, that some sit around waiting for Jesus to come. Yep. Jesus didn't do that at all. Not even his apostles did that. Nope. You wanna, I'm crying right now thinking <laughs> about that. It's And then you have those other religious groups who go under, who call themselves Christian, but they are not, who will, because they say, yep, they, they have somebody who says, yep, I predict Christ is going to come back. January and, 3rd, 2024. Right. And now you've got to go and sell everything that you own and give it all into the church because what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that you have all the provisions you need to, but you don't need it to take with you, but we're just going to give it all up to the poor, which they're probably not. And then you've got all these people and he's going to come back on this hill right here. So we're all going to meet on this hill right here on such and such a date. And they all go and stand there. They have no more house. They have no more job. They have nothing left. And they're standing there waiting for Christ to come. Christ does not come because he didn't say that we would know the day or that he, he, he didn't even know. So how in the heck do you know? <laughs> that no, it, he did say we may not know the date, but we will know the time. We, yeah, yeah, we won't know it specifically. No, no. But, but no, that, rem- that, that scenario you brought up reminds me of the Pharisee who gave Christ gold over him deciding to follow him. Uh, they give the churches gold, but yet do not follow. Yep. There was this one, I can't remember the university, but this one guy who was not a Christian donated a bunch of money to the university and they built some wing or whatever or something on a chapel or whatever it was they built. And they used to call it whatever this guy's name is, Firescape. <laughs> it was a Christian university and that was his thing was that like, just in case he donated to the Christian university. So they, <laughs> that was his fire. I remember hearing that years ago. That I can't remember the university, but yeah, I remember saying it was like. It's exactly like what the Pharisee did. Yeah, it's like that man who, who was a rich. The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. Yep. Sell everything you have and come follow me. And he couldn't do that because he had great wealth. Yeah, it had nothing to do with the fact that he had great wealth. It was just no. that was his. That was his God. That was his God, yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Next, next verse, John 19, 26 to 30. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, he, and to the disciple, 
here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So this topic is about strength and dignity. Now, one of the things I think that men may get incorrect when we talk about strength, we, we're not talking about being able to bench press a hundred, twice your body weight, whatever is considered a lot. Whatever is considered a lot. You don't need to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think I mentioned him earlier. He, as, as masculine, whatever, he is not. It's almost like the opposite, really, of yep. how Jesus expressed his strength. Because it was, it's towards more of how much can, it, it's more like the ability to hold steady. Yes. In, yeah. in, in spite or um, when you are being persecuted and beaten and hated. and Or, or your, evil. Your ability to not engage or not grow angry at such people. Yeah. Um, and I have such perfect examples of the difference in, in, in that kind of strength. Um, because I know a few guys who you know and, and we and and i think there they, there's that there's that passive aggressive kind of and some are just aggressive and some are just passive um but it's neither or any of them because having having that quiet strength also embodies that dignity that says you can come this far and no further where you know where your boundary line is and anybody who tries to cross that you say no that is not acceptable that is not allowed and you need to be able to hold firm to that ideal. Some people go off. They're, they, they live their life at a level nine, and it takes nothing to set them off. And they are raging at everybody and anything. And then you have the other people who are constantly, I am a victim. People pick on me. I'm no good. I'm just going to go out into the garden and eat some worms. That is not what it's all about. When you are faced with adversity, when you're faced with stress, whatever, and there are places where you can actually learn skills to cope with the stresses of life. Yep. And so there's ways that you should be open to the fact that this may not come or usually does not come naturally. No, it does not. <laughs> it's something that is developed over time. Yep. Again, like we said, this is not, we talk about Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It did not happen the moment he said, I do, and became a husband. Nope. He had to develop all of that before this he is, even got married. Yes. And this is and this is where fathers teach their children. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this part of our exploration into masculinity on the Route 77 podcast. We hope our discussion on strength, dignity, and emotional vulnerability has opened up new avenues for thought and reflection. Join us in the next part, where we'll delve into the concept of toxic masculinity and how it contrasts with the biblical portrayal of what it means to be a man. Until then, keep challenging and growing your faith and understanding, and remember to live your single life to its fullest.